Yeah, Heavenly Father, thank you for Tom. Lord, thank you for his heart to see your name lifted high in this town, Lord, the way that he um, humbles himself in, in the way that he lives with his family, in the way that he does in this church. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would just learn something more from him, from seeing him, and as he unpacks your word in this whole topic of humility and yeah. humbleness. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Owen. That was really nice. It's unusual. <laughs> it was unusual. <laughs> yes. Good morning, everyone. Hi. Yeah, just quickly before I start, so I just whispered in my ear that uh, Paul O'Sullivan in, in Mexico, um, our sister, is, um, there's been some wildfires. It's come pretty close to her compound, and they've evacuated. They're all safe. Um, but can we just hold her in our prayers this week, particularly, and get some updates? So, good morning. My name is Tom. Um, I'm on the leadership team here. I've lived here in Hailsham uh, my whole life, and I've been coming to this church about 16 years or so. Um, so we're going to look at God's grace this morning, God's grace to be humble, and how his grace allows us to be humble people. So when Sai approached me to speak this morning, he made it quite clear that it, it was my outstanding humility, which clearly, he said, is just unrivaled in the New Frontiers network. Um, so it would just be such a blessing to the church if I could just spare some time and um, take some time out of my busy schedule and teach people to be as incredibly humble as I am. So here I am. Have you got the sash of humility that we can... Ah, oh, that was going to... I was going to skip the coffee queue. Um, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. God, God keeps me humble. Um, actually, funny story. Um, I went to meet a client this week and so I'd never met them before, and they're over in Kent, and I put the address into the sat-nav, and it was about an hour's drive, and it was hilly, the wood was called Hilly Wood, and the sat-nav said, you've arrived at your destination, and I looked over, and I saw Hilly, hilly House, I was like, great, knocked on the door, lady answered, oh, hi, my name's Tom, walked in, and I was just sort of taking my boots off, and I noticed that she was sort of hovering nervously by the door, I looked up, and she went, who are you? I was like, I'm Tom. Are you not Jan? No, wasn't Jan. Jan was down the lane. It was just a lady, and I was just taking my shoes off and expecting a cup of coffee, and um, that was really embarrassing. So, yeah. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to spend a good amount of time looking at God's grace, because God's grace is foundational to our salvation, and so it's so important that we keep coming back to it again and again and again. Because until we fully understand grace, we're not going to be totally secure in the love that our Heavenly Father has for us. We'll struggle when we're sidelined because our identity will still be caught up in our performance and not the performance of Jesus. So our feeling of self-worth is still going to be anchored in who we're perceived to be by society and our peers instead of what our Heavenly Father thinks of us. If we fail and we sin, and in condemnation, our prayer life suffers, we've not fully understood grace. So we can't follow Jesus' example of taking the lowest position until we understand the position we have in the heavenly places. So we're going to nail that one first. Um, have I said grace enough yet? Grace, 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 grace. So firstly, our salvation is due to God's grace. Um, and before we look at what God has done for us, um, I want to look at what we've done for God. So on this slide, I...
Am I? I'll just use this hand mic. That's fine. It's fine. God's just keeping me humble. It's always doing. Roll with the punches. Roll with the punches. So we're just going to look at this slide here um, because I've just listed everything that we've done from God. There we go. That's it. That's all we've done for God because actually we've done nothing. Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, puts it like this. You were dead in the trespasses of your sins. We were dead. We were stone cold dead. There is nothing that we can do. And it's so important to understand that there's nothing in of ourselves that can restore our relationship with God because of what we thought and said and done. We are lifeless before God. I like to think of that scene in the Titanic. We've got a picture at the end. Rose and Jack, she hogged that, didn't she? He could have got on there, but she just, she was a bit stubborn. And uh, he sort of floats away as a human popsicle, and then she falls asleep, I think. And then there's a rescue boat. Rescue boat comes, and they're flashing the lights. And do you remember? She's really weak, and she just manages to blow a whistle. I was going to get a whistle, but I couldn't find one. She manages to just blow a whistle, and, and they hear her, and they rescue her. Hurrah. Rose is saved, and she lives out the rest of her life happily ever after. Now... Let me use that as a metaphor and just paint you the spiritual reality of the situation. It's cold. HMS, humanity, has sunk, and everyone is dead. And then rescue comes. Hurrah. Except this time, there's no noise. There's no energy, not even to blow a whistle. We can't lift a finger. So when the Bible says we're dead to our sins, this is what it means. That the rescue plan does not in any way rely on us to do anything. We cannot contribute to it. We are incapable of contributing. All we need to do is turn to Jesus, except we can't. We can't turn. We're dead, remember? The New Testament reminds us in several places that the desire to or act of turning and repenting to Jesus is a gift from God itself. We cannot repent without God allowing us to and giving us that gift. God, uh, Romans says, chapter 2, verse 4, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? We were dead. All we brought to the table was a corpse. God, in his grace and in his mercy, allowed us to turn to him and in Jesus we are made alive. And in Jesus, we remain. Through sin, through trial, through unbelief even, we remain secure in him. The relationship with Jesus is restored and will remain restored no matter what befalls us. And it took me years to grasp this, that it doesn't matter what I've done, my relationship with my father is perfectly secure in Jesus. And I've just got this picture to just try and explain how that made me feel. And there should be a slide of a big yellow circle. Slightly abstract. I'm a little bit weird in my thinking. But that's our relationship with God, okay? This is where we were first, black dot. We're outside of the relationship with God. We can't get in that. There's no way in. But this is where we are now. Way. We are inside that relationship. And even when you click, it doesn't matter where we go or what we do. 
We're never going to go outside of that relationship. We can't leave. It doesn't matter in our wandering and in our trials and in our messy behavior. We're still totally secure in our relationship with the Father. So our actions, although they can grieve God and grieve his Holy Spirit, they'll never damage that relationship with him because the relationship didn't depend on our actions in the first place. It's the essence of God's grace. Just like the rescue plan does not require any action from us, it therefore cannot be spoiled by any action of us. You are 0% involved in your salvation. So 100% of your best efforts, they don't count. But 100% of your mistakes don't count either. The file on the hard drive called every bad thing you've ever done in alphabetical order is deleted, permanently deleted. God loves you because he loves you because he loves you. So our salvation is entirely by grace alone. That's where we stand if you're a Christian here this morning. And our sanctification, our getting better us, you know, what we're continually improving in God, that rests totally on God's grace as well. He changes us again and again and again. And sometimes I notice when I'm using software that it's got a version number. It's like version 1.1.1. And then they do a little update and it's 1.1.2. And then 1.1.3. And then suddenly they do a great big update and they release version 2. And it's completely different. Do you know, that's a bit like how God works with us. Continually changing again and again the little bugs, the little flaws that we have. Renewing us over and over again. Sometimes he does a big thing and we get version two. Sometimes he does little things and we don't see them so much. Version one is amazing. It's a brand new thing as a Christian. It's never been made before. And sometimes slowly and sometimes quickly, God continually improves us. We do find ourselves loving people, forgiving people, serving people thanking God and so on, we see the effects of the Spirit working out in our life. He can, through the power of his Spirit, he can totally renew us in a moment and deal with a huge area of our life and he can gradually make us shine brighter and brighter for Jesus. Because nobody here this morning, if you're a Christian, nobody here is going to stay where they are with God. He loves you too much He wants you to be holy like his son Jesus. And he will keep renewing you until you reach it, which is going to be pretty much when we die or when he comes back. It's not going to stop. We're always being renewed in God. And how does he do that in us? I love the words of David in Psalm 51. Verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The answer is that we turn to him in prayer. We cry out to him, God, I am flawed. God, this version of me is not what it could be. It is so far from what it should be. 
God, I keep sinning in this area. God, I'm nowhere near being like your son, Jesus. God, I'm so helpless. God, I'm careless with my tongue. I'm careless with my eyes. God, I'm careless with my actions. My thoughts are far from you. Change me, God. Renew me. Forgive me and give me your spirit. I'm broken before you. Once we've repented for our sins for the first time, we never stop turning again and again to Jesus for grace and mercy and more of his spirit to change us into who he wants us to be. Christians don't stand still in God. They only go forwards or backwards. So if you're not going forwards, it's only a matter of time before you start going backwards. Why is that? Because we're pursuing holiness day by day, hour by hour, from one degree of glory to the next. And if we're not doing that, we're not listening to Jesus. So to summarize, we remain in a right relationship no matter what, and day by day, he renews our minds by making us more like him. What right has the software to say, look at me, I'm version three. Or imagine when Rose was hauled into that lifeboat like a fish on ice in a deli counter and then announces, blimey, it's a good job I blew my whistle. You guys should really thank me for speeding up your rescue time. It's nothing. It has done nothing to be there. It could do nothing to change itself. And it's only because the developer wants it to be the best it can be. It has any changes at all. And the same applies to us, that we have nothing to boast about except the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must be a humble people. Grab your Bibles. Turn to 1 Peter, chapter 5. And find verse 5, and we're going to read it through to verse 11. It will be on the screen. Let's read this section of text together and see what God is saying through Paul. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So Paul, he calls us to clothe ourselves in humility. In other words, when people look at you, let them see you covered with humility towards one another. The first thing we see of one another is the way we dress. And Paul is saying to everybody in the church, cover yourselves in humility so that the first thing people will see about you is that you are treating your brothers and sisters as if they are more important than you. 
that you are earnestly desiring to serve one another, not out of a sense of duty, but because you love them. Why does Paul earnestly desire that we are clothed in humility? It says it in the text, God will show his favor to you as a humble person. You will receive blessings from him by living a humble life. And more than that, more than that, if you're proud and stiff-necked and you think of yourself as more important than your brothers and sisters or better than them in any way, the God is clear. God is going to oppose your heart. The God of the universe is going to set himself up in opposition to your heart. I was at the church on Monday and uh, watched the Checkmates chess group playing and they sat opposite each other in intense silence. Both players frustrating the plans of the other as they sat in opposition. You don't want God to oppose you. He is a formidable opponent. This is what he says to the prideful person. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Psalm 101 verse 5. Whoever has haughty eyes and an arrogant heart, I will not tolerate. Isaiah 2.12, for the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, in, and it shall be brought low. Luke 1.51, he has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Do not allow pride to set itself up in your heart because God will oppose your heart, but instead cover yourselves in humility. As we can see from that verse in Luke, that it's not by some kind of grand ostentatiousness that God will judge you. It's what he sees in your heart. It's what he sees in your inner thoughts. And it's in these inner thoughts and motives that we must cultivate that spirit of humility, sacrificing yourself and elevating other people above you, even if no one sees or notices that spirit of humility. That's what God is calling us to do. Those small, unseen acts of putting others before you will help crucify that pride in your heart. Your father, he sees your secret humble works and he will show you his favor. He sees and counts every moment. Take pride in not being noticed for what you're doing, that your heavenly father sees all things and will reward you. See the privilege in putting other people before yourself in allowing your actions to go totally unrecognized before others because you're elevating God in your own heart and keeping a check on your spiritual pride. The further down you put your own self and your own desires and the further up you elevate those around you, the more God is going to lift you up. Look at that phrasing in verse 6. Humble yourself under his mighty hand and he will lift you up. In other words, 
acknowledge that his power is above you and over you, and he has given you everything you own, the breath in your lungs, the shirt on your back, the bed you sleep in. It all comes from his mighty hand. So what on earth have we got to boast about? Be humble before him, and he will lift you up. God himself modeled humility, and he calls us to follow in his footsteps. Jesus was entitled to all of the honor and all of the power. He was entitled to all of the praise in heaven. That was his. But he chose the role of a servant king who died. It's such a paradox. So let's imitate Christ. This is Christ who stretched out his hands and flung the planets into space and created boring suns and ice-cold moons whose hands on the cross had nails pierced through them. Same guy. Christ upon whose every shoulder, whose on shoulder rests every government, every council, every wisdom of this world upon whose shoulders was laid the cross of Calvary. It's the same guy, Christ. One day, he's going to ride in on a white horse with many crowns, with eyes like fire, and every knee bowing before him. But just before he faced execution, he knelt down before his friends and washed the dirt from their feet. Do you see that? Do you see that incredible paradox? He was the king of the universe, and he came and served his disciples by washing the dirt from their feet. He was the only one qualified to boast, but instead silently went like a lamb to the slaughter. So God is calling us to be a humble people, and have we see, as, as we have seen, he continually reminds us that he is opposed to a prideful person. What does humility look like? True humility? It's hard to see. It's the absence of pride. It's the absence of self. If you can really clearly see humility, a bit like me earlier, it probably isn't humility. Because pride is a really clever beast and it hides itself deep in our hearts with smoke and mirrors. Pride is present all the time in one degree or another. This is a helpful acronym that I overheard Sarah using to teach the kids that we should live our lives with joy, J-O-Y. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And I think we even touched on it this morning and I was like, ah, oh, yes. God is alive and working. So serve those around you with joy. That is true humility. Live by that acronym and avoid false humility. Because false humility is a form of pride. The humble brag. I love a humble brag. <laughs> I love it. When someone really wants something to be known but has to dress it up in something else so that they're not being proud. They're being very humble, but they're not. I found some slides on the internet I thought we could laugh at. Hang on. 
The fact that Wikipedia lists me as a notable alumnus of my college speaks ill of the reliability of crowdsourced information. Subtext, I'm on Wikipedia. What's the next slide? I'd be the worst at prices, right? I brought $20,000 to buy a monitor, and it was only $350. i am so clueless. I'm really rich. I'm really rich. And the last one. Just ruined my perfect grade by getting 96% on a quiz. I got 96% on a quiz. Where am I? Oh, yeah. So these pictures, they're always revealing something about the person that sent them. They're desperate for the world to know who they are and what they have done. In part, this is likely because how they're perceived is part of their identity, right? And they've got to establish their identity. We all have that. But as Christians, we should be a people that are confident enough in our identity in Christ Jesus that we can take the lower place boasting nothing except his death, knowing that regardless of our current wealth or our social standing, our Father has prepared for us a room in his heavenly mansion. That trumps anything we've got on earth. Regardless of our bank account and how wealthy we are this morning, we are co-heirs with Christ. That is the trump card. I don't care. I'm co-heirs with Christ. Two pennies to rub together, million quid, co-heirs with Christ. You know, it just wins. Charles Spurgeon. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He was a Victorian preacher. Although a tithe of his possessions would have made a universe of angels rich beyond all thought, yet he was not content until he had given us all that he had. This is the truth of where we stand this morning. The pressure that exists in this world to be better than your neighbor, to have a newer car, to wear the right clothes, to have more money, even your position in the church, it's, it's gone. That pressure is gone because Paul says in Galatians 6.14, the world has been crucified to me, it's dead to me, and I'm dead to the world. Nothing of this world has any appeal anymore. Status, money, privilege, job description, social standing, gone, dead, finished. And when you think about our worship time this morning and that call to sacrifice and that call to selling everything we have to get that pearl that is Jesus, you think that's where God's heart is. We're in Christ, not by our action, but by grace keep saying it and in him we are wealthier than we could possibly imagine so let's not boast let's not seek to be recognized for what we have done we don't need to earn favor and status with man because we have favor and status with the man upstairs let's not pursue that fleshly desire to be in the middle of cliques and groups let us follow christ's example who bowed down and wash the dirt from his disciples' feet, treating others as if they are more important than we are, giving all the glory to our Heavenly Father, humbling ourselves in repentance before God, and pursuing a life of holiness in him. We must continually humble ourselves before God.
we need to daily recognize that we have failures and we need his strength. We must fully, fully behold that terrible nature of our sin, that we're truly wretched creatures apart from him. We must understand and know our innate, inherited and excellent ability to be selfish and prideful. We must fully behold this. Don't bury that truth about yourself. Don't hide it. Because it's true of everyone here and no one more than me. Behold it and turn to your Father and in humility beg him to renew you again and again and again that we may take on every attribute of Christ Jesus and shine among the world that our lives would be holy and pure before God. As we humble ourselves before him, he will lift us up. I am far more wretched than I could possibly know, and I am far more forgiven, redeemed, and restored than I could possibly understand. Can we talk about trees quickly? We're going to do a quick hands up because I love a good hands up. Can we have the next slide, please, Phil, with a picture of three trees? So it's competition time. There's no prize. Uh, there should be an ABC icon for each tree. Okay, now, the question is, which tree is a western hemlock tree? Okay, really geeky. And I don't know, hopefully some people get it. So can I have hands up if tree A is a Western hemlock tree? Okay, confident. <laughs> tree B, anybody? Smattering of people. Interesting. Tree C, then, is... Uh, do you know what? You got it right. Give yourselves a round of applause. I'm trusting... Did anyone really know that? If you genuinely knew that, can you put your hand up? <laughs> Nobody did. <laughs> huh? Okay, <laughs> been listening. It is C, right? Um, where, uh, oh, where have we gone? Oh, there, there we go, sorry. So you can always see Western Hemlock because the tips, they grow over like that. So I think that's fir and spruce. They grow straight up and then the little branches come out. But western hemlock when it grows its leading stem it grows up and then bows over and the next one comes up and bows over. And I just love the way that it's this picture of how we grow in God that the, the more that he exalts us the higher that we're bowing down before him continually submitting. God can do a lot of things. He can accomplish more that we can hope or pray for but he will oppose the heart of a prideful person. And the Bible is really clear that that pride can be a blockage in our life and a blockage in the life of the church. God can't release the new version if we cannot humble ourselves before him. Let me ask you a question, and I need you to be 100% honest with yourself. I'm not going to make it public. There's going to be no hands up, and I'm not going to reveal anything. This is just for you, okay? Is there an area of your life where pride is an issue? Can I tell you the answer? It's yes. It's always yes. If you thought no, you've just failed to grasp how pervasive pride is. But don't worry. Pride, it sneaks up on all of us. 
Maybe you find yourself slipping into conversations, something that you want people to notice about you, or perhaps you're an expert of the humble brag. It could even be unforgiveness. Do you need to humble yourself and forgive someone that's hurt you? That's tough. We will all need to crucify pride and humble ourselves until we die or he returns. In humility, we need to accept that pride will always seek an opportunity to rear its ugly head in our life. And we need to crucify it each time it does. It's a bit like whack-a-mole, you know? A year or so ago, I had this picture during worship that has never really left me. And the presence of God was really powerful. And in my head, I just saw this huge rock. And round the outside of the rock, water was just splurting out, but the rock was damming it. And I felt like God say, look, we need to ruthlessly lift up those rocks and cast them away of pride, of unforgiveness. And then he will allow his spirit to flow in in a new way and renew us in a new way and renew the church. I really believe that for us as a church, that we have to face those painful rocks and deal with them. Don't hide from them. Deal with them. We're going to watch a a quick clip from Lord of the Rings. Okay, we watched one, Chris. And so at this point, if you've not watched them, I think it's probably an eldership issue. But this scene is when the Ents storm Isengard and it perfectly encapsulates exactly what I feel God was showing me. Oh, good. <sighs> this, is, this is a perfect picture that if we allow this unforgiveness and this pride to sit there, it's just damning everything that God wants to do in our lives and we need to rip that down let God's spirit in let it wash us of that filth extinguish the fires of the enemy renew us oh doesn't that just excite you take this opportunity this morning to do business with God to give him in prayer the rock of unforgiveness or the rock of pride that is a block to his renewing spirit Allow him to tear down that dam in your heart and allow him to wash over you and clean you. Can I invite the band up, please? We're going to respond with a song. And, I mean, the song nails it. When I survey the wondrous cross, I mean, let's just sing that in a new way this morning. I'd love to pray with you this morning. I'll be over there, and to be totally honest... I would love for the opportunity for you to pray with me as well because I'm speaking as much to myself today as I am to everyone else. Pride is love of self. Humility is love of others. The book of Philippians tells us that Jesus emptied himself of everything and took the form of a servant. He calls us this morning to follow him, laying down everything of ourself clothing ourselves in humility towards one another and serving him with joy. Amen.